Go ahead. Amen. All right. So welcome those of you who are watching online. Let me begin with a slight apology. We're having issues with the screen overlays and that's why the countdown froze at 454 uh, for you, but it continued to count down here for us. So we just decided to, to jump on uh, here online and go ahead with that. So tonight uh, we probably will not have and we'll just see if we can make it happen, but probably will not have screen overlays for those of you watching online. Amen. And I apologize for that in advance, but don't drop out. Amen. It's going to be good. Praise God. Are y'all all right? Everybody good? Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you for these wonderful, beautiful men and women. Lord, thank you for the commitment that they have made to you, Lord, to your purposes, your destiny, Lord, for their lives, both individually and collectively, Father. Lord, thank you that you had a plan for us before we were born, Lord. You have a plan for us while we're here on the earth, and you've got a plan for us, Father, after we leave this earth. And Lord, you, you are uh, our Father. You love us. You, you, you long for us. And, and Lord, we thank you that you're here to help us tonight with your Holy Word and with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for every person in the room, those watching online. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit as he leads us and guides us into all truth. We submit ourselves now to him as our teacher, and we thank you, Father, for his wonderful wisdom working in us, through us, and among us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, so this is class seven, and we're shooting for the work of the ministry and Generation Christ. Those are two of the main topic subjects um, for uh, the class this evening, and hopefully we'll be able to get to that and, and maybe... Uh, some more. Praise God. So let's do just a little bit of review. Uh, first of all, we said uh, from last week, discipleship is the bridge that carries you from salvation into the fulfillment of your purpose and God-given destiny. It's a bridge. So think of like point A being you be getting born again, receiving the wonderful gift of salvation, becoming a new creation in Christ. How do you get from that new beginning to actually fulfilling the purpose for which God created you, then recreated you in Christ Jesus, uh, the, the destiny that he had in mind for you before he ever created you. And so discipleship is, is the bridge that gets you from that point A, if you will, to point B. Now last week we also uh, made a very important statement, and that is every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. There is an error in the body of Christ. It's a convenient error, by the way, uh, that simply says those who are called to preach or pastor, they're the ones who are to do the work of the ministry. But that is inaccurate. We see it in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. He himself, speaking of Jesus, gave some, not all, some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Now, there, if you are familiar with these verses, there, there's more things that apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher are called to do. Uh, and we'll perhaps get to some of that in future classes. But uh, tonight, I want to once again draw your attention to the opening phrase of verse 12, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. So as a servant leader, as a pastor teacher in the body of Christ, one of my responsibilities, one of my assignments is to equip saints. Don't let saint throw you, okay? Don't let saint throw you. The Bible's very clear about it. If you've been born again, God calls you a saint, okay? God calls you a saint, amen. So the idea then behind a saint is someone who's been born again, someone who's in the body of Christ, someone who's in the kingdom of God, pastors, among other ministry offices, 
have been assigned or given the responsibility of the assignment to equip, let's say it this way, individual members of the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. And then from there we looked at how you know, Jesus ministered, then um, he sent out others to minister. Uh, the first initially he sent out 12, and then he sent out 70 more also. And we see that all of these uh, ministered uh, with great um, success. Now, I want to say something just right out of the gate tonight. We're going to talk a good bit about ministry and, and what ministry is and what ministry looks like and why discipleship is such you know, a key factor in our effectiveness in ministry. But let me... <clears throat> Your enemy's a relentless negotiator. He's always trying to talk you into a less place, less position, less uh, you know, fulfillment, all of the above, right, than is your birthright, than belongs to you as a son or daughter of God. And I'm, I'm all, those of you who've heard me teach long enough to know when I start kind of stammering around like this, I'm, I'm trying to choose my words very carefully and very delicately because I don't want to offend anybody, all right? But one of, one of the things that has happened in the body of Christ that has to change and is changing is our understanding of what ministry really is. And sadly, ministry has almost become like non-existent among the individual member of the body of Christ in our, in our day and age. But also what, what people who actually do participate in the work of the ministry uh, see ministry as actually being. And, and, and sadly, we only see it as acts of service. And, and acts of service are extremely important. So that's why I'm trying to choose my words carefully here. I don't, I don't want you uh, to be confused by this. There, there are folks who help keep the grass cut here at the church. Thank God for that. Amen. There, there are people who do all, help receive the offering, help take care of babies in the nursery. All of these things are absolutely 100% valid, important, necessary, needed ministry. But what Jesus taught us about ministry goes beyond just simple acts of service that we can accomplish using our own effort and ability. Jesus set a standard of ministry for us to look to and learn from that he has equipped us and called us and, and is, is wanting to, uh, again, equip us uh, to be able to accomplish. Now, the standard of that ministry is captured really all throughout the New Testament, earthly ministry of Jesus. But when I say captured, that may not be the right word. Um, stated very precisely and succinctly, that's a better way of saying it maybe, is um, Jesus said the works that he did, we would do also and even greater works because he went to his Father. Amen. So when he sent out the 12, they certainly helped people with menial tasks. They helped people, uh, you know, fix a broken wheel in, in, in a cart. Or I'm, That's ministry. Don't, if you think I'm saying that's not ministry, you're not hearing me clearly. That is absolutely ministry. But after they fixed the wheel on the cart, um, their cousin who lived down the street that was possessed with demons, they went and cast the demons out of them. Amen. After they maybe help somebody financially, uh, you know, buy some food for their family, uh, they then uh, laid hands on the father who was sick and wasn't able to work and provide for his family and healed him. Amen. 
And I know for some of you, this is like, what in the world have we gotten ourselves into? We're, we're, you know, we got through that whole class about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but now he's gone off the rails again and he's talking about these things. But, but remember now, this, this is the standard. You say, Pastor Mark, I, I've never even heard anything like that. Well, if you're familiar with how like radar on a, on a warship works, okay, it, it circles around and it sends out signals and then anything that comes within radar range, it shows up on the radar as a blip or an object or a light or, or what have you, okay? Um, some of these things, maybe we're just planting and, and it wasn't previously on your radar. Now we're getting it on your radar, amen? In other words, we're getting it within the sphere, the scope of what you think and understand and begin to aspire to. I'm, I mean, I would love for you to go out of here tonight and, and, and start laying hands on the sick and the sick recovering and things of this nature that God has clearly instructed and equipped us to do, all right? It's not, let me say it another way. It's not that we don't have the power or the ability to do it, okay? It's that we don't have the, the mindset or the attitude to do it. Remember we talked last week about aptitude, inheritability versus attitude, right? And the Bible says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Amen. Come on now. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Praise God. And Jesus said that those who believe after the initial group of disciples and apostles preached, multiple generations of people who've come to Jesus because of that first generation, he said those people, I'll show it to you in the Bible here in just a moment, that those people would cast out demons. That's talking about me and you, that we would cast out demons, that we would speak with new tongues, that we would lay our hands on the sick and the sick would recover. Now, let me tell you what modern day religion has done to that. Okay, Speaking with new tongues, they say, means you won't cuss anymore. Laying hands on the sick and the sick will recover. That's speaking of doctors and surgeons. I mean, you're getting quiet on me, right? Uh, cast out demons uh, means that we will you know, push the things of, of the devil away and not let them into our lives. But is that the example Jesus gave us of these things? Absolutely not. Is that the biblical example that we have of these things? Absolutely not. Now, listen to me, please. We, we started in these classes, and I talked to you about being stretched. I talked to you about you know, not just telling you things you already know uh, and, and talking to what you already think and know and understand, but also to, to help bring us up to an, another level, to, to help you know, expand our horizons of, of what we know and understand. Remember last week we talked about acknowledging every good thing that's in you, okay? The Holy Spirit is in you. The gifts of the Holy Spirit then are in you. He doesn't come in you without gifts, amen? Those gifts are in you already. If the Holy Spirit is in you, His gifts are in you. And like we said, even when it comes to speaking in an unknown, in an unknown tongue, it's not about you getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's about the Holy Spirit getting more of you. You yielding to Him in a way that you haven't previously done. I'll never forget the first time I laid hands on somebody. It, it was a rather large woman who had a rather large hairdo, and I was trying to figure out, what, how do you do this, right? I mean, she probably spent, you know, Sunday morning, Saturday, she probably spent two hours and $100 at the beauty salon, right, getting that hair fixed. And I'm not about to plant my big old paw right up in the middle of it, you know what I'm saying? And so, again, it was, there's a learning curve. Anybody remember the first time you raised your hands in church to worship God? I felt like everybody in the building was looking at me. I felt certain that when we got in the car, my whole family was going to say, I saw you raising your hands in church. You know, they didn't say it. They didn't, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they, they never said anything about it. I don't even know if they ever noticed, right? 
So there's a learning curve to these things. And when I say learning curve, anytime you do something new that you've never done before, it kind of feels awkward, a little bit unusual at first. Amen. But we've got to acknowledge these things. This, this is the revival that's going to bring the return of Jesus to this earth. It's not going to be, listen to me, I'm thankful. Uh, support financially, international, worldwide, popular ministries that are doing a lot in our world for the kingdom. I don't discredit that or think that's wrong at all, okay? But even if they preach to 100,000 people, a million people, whatever, at a time on, on television, okay? <laughs> the, a lot of the people who need to hear what they're saying don't watch Christian television. Amen or oh me? Are you hearing what I'm saying, right? So what, how, is, how is it that you know, these people are going to be swept into the kingdom in the, in the, as the end draws near? Amen. It's going to be the individual members of the body of Christ going forth in the world, letting their light so shine before other people that they see their good works and glorify their Father in heaven. Amen. And, and those works are going to be more than just works of service. Mow their lawn. Yes, if it, help them with food. It's ministry. But Jesus clearly, when he sent them out, he didn't just say, if you find somebody in need and you got a few dollars in your pocket, help them. He said, cast out devils. Lay your hands on the sick and the sick will recover. Now, there was something that kind of popped up in my spirit last week that I meant to say and just kind of moved on. And I, I usually debrief you understand debrief you know after a sermon after a class um i, I kind of go back over it lord how could i have done it better what did i say that i didn't need to say what should i've said that i didn't you know that and and this is what remember we talked about he jesus told them they would go places and people would reject them you remember that okay well the lord told me something years ago that has really been impactful in my own life experience and i, I want to share that with you right now if i could and I, I i probably should have done it last week i don't mean to backtrack but it's so important i want to i want to do this all right this is what the lord told me he said don't let the people who reject you keep you from reaching the people who want you and need you okay so there are going to be people who reject you don't let the ones who reject you, don't let the ones who don't want to hear what you have to say, don't let the ones who don't think you have anything to offer them, don't let their rejection keep you from reaching the people who do want you and who do, and who do need you. So they would go some places and the people would reject them. Jesus would go places and the people would reject him. Paul would go places and the people would reject him. But then they would go to Antioch. Right? And there the people are like, tell us more, bring it on. We'll sit here as long as you'll teach us, right? We want to know these things. So there will be people who are receptive. There will be people who are not initially receptive. The Bible says for us to plant the seed. The Bible says for us to water the seed. But God gives the increase. Amen. So do not let, I'm going to say it one more time. Do not let the people who reject you keep you from reaching the people who need you and want you. Amen? All right. Now let's talk a little bit more about ministry tonight. Let's go to Luke chapter 4 and verse uh, 16. Somebody needed to hear that. Who needed to hear that? Don't let the people reject your kid. Okay, amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, praise God. All right. It's because we have this tendency, right, to, oh, well, I didn't do it right if I was a better minister. No, no, just amen. Just keep trucking. Keep, don't, don't throw up a bunch of dust in the air, but just shake it off and keep moving. All right. So Luke chapter 4, verses uh, 16 through 22. It says, So he came to Nazareth, 
where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, this is speaking of Jesus, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on Him. Now, we could talk about this for three classes. There's just a lot that's here. We know that this was Jesus' custom, meaning everywhere Jesus went to minister, because he was sent first to the Jewish people, he would go to the local Jewish synagogue, he would find the scroll uh, of Isaiah, and he would read this to the people, and he would say, today, right, today, um, then he opened the book, gave it back to the tent, and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. This version doesn't record it, but he would say, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, and he would sit down. He would sit down. Okay. Now, the sitting down part is really important because in those synagogues, there was a chair in a prominent position that was reserved for the Messiah, that was reserved for the one who would come and fulfill all that the prophet Isaiah said the Messiah would, would come and do. And so when Jesus sat down, he sat down in that chair. What is he saying? He's saying right here, right now, in this place, everything necessary for these verses to be fulfilled in your lives is present and ready and waiting. All right? Now, there were places that he would do this and folks would be healed by the thousands. I mean, just miracle after miracle after miracle. But if you recall, when he went to his own hometown and he did this, they're like, who does he think he is? What, you know, they were offended, the Bible says, um, at him. Now, enough said about that for now. What I want you to see here, though, is what I call the ministry platform of Jesus. The ministry platform of Jesus. And I pull that terminology platform from like a political candidate. And so a political candidate has a platform. And the idea is the platform is something that they stand on and speak from. But the different planks or boards in their platform are the different things that they're saying that they're going to do if you elect them to whatever office it is that they're running for. We often hear this in, in presidential races where it's a presidential platform. And, and, and so this man or woman says, if you elect me, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. That's their platform. So this is from the prophet Isaiah. This is the ministry platform of Jesus. Jesus came to do these things. And each of these things are categories of things. And they're not just limited to, uh, to the physical or the spiritual, but it's both. Jesus came to open blind eyes, people who were physically blind. But he also came to open blind eyes spiritually, right? And if you remember, the climate in Jesus' day was he can do the physical stuff, he can't do the spiritual stuff. Remember when Jesus said to the man before he healed his paralysis, your sins be forgiven you, and the religious leaders sucked all the oxygen out of the room. <gasps> who does this man think he is? And Jesus says, which is easier? Notice not which is harder, which is easier to forgive sins or to say, take up your bed and walk. 
Well, they thought it was easier to say, take up your bed and walk. He, but Jesus said, so that you will know that I have the authority to both forget, to forgive sins. He says to the man, now take up your bed and walk. So it's, notice how it's swapped now in, in, in our modern day world. We believe that Jesus can do the spiritual things. He can forgive the sins, but he can't do the physical things. He can't do the healings and, and the restoration and the mental and emotional things that, that, that he came and bled to death naked on a cross to be able to do uh, in our lives and equip us to be able to minister to other people in those things. Amen. Are you with me? So this is the ministry platform of Jesus. Why is this important? Well, I'm going to show you in a moment after I get through a little bit more about what Jesus did and how Jesus viewed ministry. I'm going to show you in the scriptures where he says that in the same way that he was sent, you and I have been sent and that the things he was sent to do, we're now being sent to do. Amen. And we got to make that uh, connection. Now, the Bible says faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So if you'll just let the Holy Spirit speak to you, if you'll just let the Holy Spirit open the word of God up to you, it will begin to awaken and arouse and stir faith within you for this level of, of ministry effectiveness. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, let's keep going here. I love this passage. First John chapter three, verse eight. It says, he who sins is of the devil for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. He might destroy the works of the devil. So this is very important for us because the devil loves to blur the lines between what are his works and what are God's works. And there are a lot of people who, um, who, because the devil is behind it, who try to blame God for things that the devil clearly did. So if you want to know what's of the devil, look at what Jesus destroyed. Look at, look at what Jesus did, because Jesus did not come to destroy the works of his Father. He did not come to reverse or undo the works of his Father. He came to reverse and, and undo the works of the devil. So everything that you see Jesus doing on this earth as a man ministering to people was destroying or undoing or reversing something that the devil had done. And this word destroy means to undo. It means to dissolve it means literally to make like it never happened. To make like it never happened. Have you ever heard the expression, and it's a military expression from years and years and years ago, wipe somebody off the face of the earth. Wipe them off the face of the earth. There, there were civilizations that would be literally wiped off the face of the earth, meaning that it wasn't enough for one army or one country to conquer those people, but they would kill them all. They would kill everything. They would burn all their houses and, and literally bring in and just even plow up the garden so that there was no trace that those people had ever existed. Literally wiped them from the face of the earth. And that's, that is the terminology here that's being used when it says to make like it never happened. To make like, it was that surf pro like it never happened? Amen. They're, 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 they're taking that from Jesus. They're taking that from the word of God. Okay, So that he might destroy, that he might undo, that he might reverse, that he might dissolve, that he uh, might uh, make like never happened the works of the devil. So again, Jesus was destroying the devil's works, not God's. Now, so watch this. Here's, here's one that people get confused a lot, and it's because of preaching, confusing preaching, okay? If Jesus stood in the bow of the boat and rebuked a storm, whose work is he destroying? 
Whose work is he undoing? Whose work is he reversing? His father's or the devil's? It's the devil's work. But how many sermons, hopefully not a lot of you, but how many sermons have we heard in our life about how God is in the storm and God is using the storm to teach us a lesson and God is using the sickness to teach us a lesson and God is using the pain to teach us a lesson. And all. Listen, have we not had enough sickness, storms, and pain in our lives to learn everything we need to learn by now? I mean, have we not had enough heartache and pain and trouble and, 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 and adversity in our lives to be like supernatural spiritual geniuses by now? Amen. But see, that's the devil. He loves to pop you in the back of the head and tell you God did it. And if you say, no, you did it. I saw you do it, devil. He'll say, well, God told me to do it. He's a liar. He's a liar. So clearly it was the devil who was trying to kill Jesus. He was, the devil was trying to drown Jesus. The devil was trying to drown the disciples. And Jesus destroyed his works. If Jesus had rebuked something that his father signed off on, agreed upon, or was somehow behind, Jesus would have been guilty of rebuking his father. But that's not the case at all. He was destroying a work of the devil. Raising a little girl from the dead. Destroying a work of the devil. Amen. It's getting quiet up in here. Here's this passage, John 14, 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these he will do because I go to my father in heaven. Here's another one. I know I'm going kind of fast here. John 17 and 18. As you sent me, he's praying to his father. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Amen. How did he send him? Why did he send him? What assignment did he have when he, when he was sent? Amen. He was sent to do the works. He was sent to fulfill the prophecy. He was sent to reverse, destroy, undo, make like never happen the works of the devil. Amen. John chapter 20, verse 21. We see it again. So Jesus said to them again, when Jesus repeats himself, when Jesus repeats himself, it is for emphasis it is strategic. Amen. He said to them again, Peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. All right. Now, to make it clear, let's go to John chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. We're going too fast? I said John. It's because my son's name's John Moore. No, it's not. I don't know. I just got that confused. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. Usually I say Matthew instead of Mark, but I got it. All right. So Mark 16, 15 through 18. And he, Jesus, said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow the first 12 apostles only. Is that what it says? No, see, see, that's the lie. Again, the devil, the devil has tried to steal um, the works of Jesus being done by the body of Christ in the earth from the body of Christ. He's tried to steal those things. And one of the lies, one of the lies is that the miracles were only for the original uh, di disciples, the original apostles. And when the last of them died, no more miracles. And so you say, well, that doesn't make sense. Why, why is that the case? Well, because God knew that we were going to need the miracles to get the church off the ground. But after we got things rolling, we wouldn't need the miracles anymore. And so God turned off the valve. Oh, my goodness gracious. All right. But now I'm reading Bible to you. 
I'm reading Bible to you. We're, we will get to this in the days ahead, but let me, let's go ahead. It's too good to, to wait, okay? <clears throat> I want you to make a commitment right now that never again will you pull the Word of God down to match your experience, but that from this point forward, you will let the Word of God be the Word of God and allow it to pull your experience up to its level. Okay, this is where all this is where we got so far off the rails. Amen. People say, "Well, you know, we're not experiencing these things, so the Bible must not mean these things." We're not we're not seeing this, and so the Bible must not mean this, right? And so notice what we've done. The Word of God is the Word of God. Let God be true, and every man be a liar. Amen. If God said it, it's true. It's truth. Amen. But but notice what happens. The word the the standard of the Word of God is here. Our experience is here, and so we start making excuses to try to bring the Word of God down to match our experience. Fatal mistake. Fatal mistake. Fatal mistake. If, if God says you're free, agree with Him and agree with Him quickly. You say, well, I'm not experiencing freedom. If He says you're free, agree with Him and agree with Him quickly and start saying out loud with your mouth, I'm free. Amen. Amen. Agree with Him. Because there's power in the Word of God to produce the very thing God spoke out of His mouth and the very reason behind Him saying it, right? There's power in that Word to produce that very thing in your life. Sweet Jesus. All right. So, He says, These signs will follow those who believe. In My name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. No, we're not talking about handling serpents. He's talking about having power over the enemy. Other versions, other accounts of this explain what he's talking about. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Okay? Now, pay close attention. He tells the original group of disciples, you go into all the world... And you preach the gospel to every creature. And those who believe because you preach. That's what he's talking about here, right? Verse 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. Who believe because the first group preached. Amen. Now I can't prove this in, in scripture. So I like to wave a red flag anytime I say something that I believe the Lord has shown me or that I think that I can't back up with three different passages of Scripture. But this is what I believe we will get to see one day in heaven, okay? We will get to see what I call our spiritual new birth family tree, okay? All right? And let me explain to you what I mean by this. Do you, do you know who it was that, that shared the gospel with you when you believed? Okay, all right. So whoever that person is, there's somebody who shared it with them. And there's somebody who shared it with them. And there's somebody who shared it with them. And there's somebody who shared it with them, right? And I believe in heaven, you will get to trace that all the way back to one of these original men and women who preached the gospel and then ultimately back to Jesus himself. In the same way, we all can go back to Noah and then through Noah back to Adam and Eve. 
physically speaking, you realize like you have, you have all these genealogies in the Scriptures until Jesus comes. And then after Jesus comes, we don't even know who the Apostle Paul, one of the most important men in the New Testament, we don't even know who his dad was. <laughs> right? Okay. It's because there's a shift there. We go from the, the, the physical, natural, biological heredity to now it's about the eternal spiritual heredity. Amen. 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 Now, again, the Bible doesn't, I can't take you to chapter and verse and show that. But if, if Malachi says every time a group of people get together to talk about Jesus, he writes down in a book the people who were there and, and what was said in those meetings, then I have no problem believing. If he numbers the hairs on your head, which is way more than counting them, you understand that? He didn't say he counted the hairs on your head. He numbers them. You understand the difference there, right? If I number you, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Now, everybody who has an odd number come here. Everybody has an even number. So you've been assigned a number. He numbers the hairs on your head. Amen. If he does that, you don't think he can tell you who preached to who, who preached to who, who preached to who, who preached to who? Amen. Amen. But now, I point that out because he's saying that to the original group, you go preach. And when people believe because you preach, this is what's going to happen. And so that includes then you and me. We are born again today because that first group of people went and told the story. Amen. We believe today because somebody before us believed, because somebody before them believed, because somebody before them believed. All right? So that would be you and me. Everyone who believes today does so because of the preaching of this first group of disciples. Your spiritual family tree can be traced back to one of these first disciples. And what, you, and what you're going to, I think, the Bible says there's a, for example, the Bible says that we'll judge angels one day. And we hear that word judge and we think, judge angels, man, that doesn't mean necessarily you know, passing negative judgment on them. Judging faithful. Someone being judged to be faithful. I believe what's going to happen one day when we judge angels is that we're finally going to get to see all the times angels bailed us out. All the times angels were there for us that we never, you know, we just thought we were lucky or it was a coincidence or, or as I like to say, we're just a good driver. You ain't a good driver. It was angels that protected you. Amen. Amen. I am telling you right now, and, and I don't tell this story enough, my, I met my family at um, the uh, uh, steakhouse there on, um, uh, oh man, we don't eat there that much. It's the new one where the fish camp used to be um, in Texas. But anyway, praise God, it'll come to me in a minute. But my, we were in separate cars. My wife pulled out, turned Highway 150, John Hawkins Parkway, four lanes with a turn lane in the middle, right? So my wife turned left going back to the interstate. We were going home in Pleasant Grove. After she turned out, I looked. Well, you have to wait. There's a lot of traffic. It cleared. I turned out, and next thing I know, a car was on me. It was night, dark right through there, did not have their lights on, okay? And I'm, I'm telling you, when we hit, we didn't touch, uh, angels, I'm telling you, angels, Amen. angels. 
I mean, you know, I call Pam and say, man, baby, just, I just had a miracle. I'm telling you, you know. Um, and she goes, you know, I couldn't get my phone fast enough to tell you that car passed me flying with, with no headlights on. And I'm like, well, the Lord just, amen. All right. So I get telling these stories. So what, what, is, what, is the, what, is, what am I saying? I want to tell you all these stories. Okay. Let, I had this, I had this, I was at a retreat one time and I was asked, um, so I'm just making a mental note when I'm sitting down next Wednesday and I'm looking at how far behind we are, I want to remember that I did this. Okay. <laughs> I was asked to um, write down my earliest, you know, divine encounter, so to speak. Okay, you know, first, and so um, I went, and what I settled on was when I was born again um, at, I think, seven years old. And so then we, you know, all got back together, and we shared this whole thing, you know. And um, But later, I don't know, I just couldn't shake it. I'm like, Father, I, that, that's not the right answer. I know there's more to it, right? And he started taking me back to things in my life. And one of the ones that he took me back to, in 1967, my mother was nine months pregnant with me and her appendix ruptured. Okay. So to say that I'm a miracle standing here, right? And so I thought, wow, you know, that's, that's, that's awesome, God. And he says, but no, he said, let me, let me go back further than that. When my mother was a little girl, she was raised in a dysfunctional family, and God moved on her heart as a little girl that she wanted something better for her family one day. And so she would get herself up as a little child and get ready and walk to church when the rest of her family. That's the hand of God in my life. Then he reminded me of when my dad was a little boy and he came off a hill on a homemade scooter and went right out in front of a car. The car hit him, knocked him, I don't know how many feet ahead, and then ran over him. And his brothers put him in a wheelbarrow and rolled him, rolled him home. The family didn't have doctors, medicine, whatever, you know. But yet my dad survived. You realize if, like, my dad had died that day, I wouldn't be standing here right now. You follow what I'm saying? But then I got one more, one more. Can you take one more? Yes. <clears throat> Winslet is a uh, British-English name. Kate Winslet, some of you are familiar with her actress. Okay. <clears throat> my grand my my grandfather, my my uncle, he researched all of this, but it has been confirmed since. My great grandfather, seven times removed, was an orphan on the streets in England. And as a as a boy, he stole a deer. In those days they raised deer like we raised cattle. He stole one to, I don't know, eat, sell it, survive, and he got caught. And the man who caught him insisted on him being executed, on him being hung as a little boy. And I have no idea. I'm going to meet the man in heaven one day, but there was a man who had compassion and went before the king and intervened on his behalf. And the king gave him the option of getting on a boat and come into a, the new world. And he took it. And that's how my family got here. 
And if you want to, if you've ever heard of Tricia Yearwood, um, probably have, right? Um, her mother is a Winslet. Um, TLC did, Learning Channel did a thing, This Is Your Life, and they told the whole story. She actually has the documents that were signed, or copies of the documents that were signed. Um, but again, <laughs> you say, well, Pastor Mark, that, what are you doing? I'm just, I'm just trying to tell you that, you know, the Apostle Paul been knocking on doors all day, preached that he, he oversaw an operation where the gospel was preached to every home in Asia Minor, right? And it's 10 o'clock. He hadn't had lunch yet, much less supper. He's tired. He's had 15 doors slammed in his face, and he decides to knock on one more door, and that family gets saved. And it turns out that the youngest son in that family is in your spiritual family tree. Do you, you, are you following what I'm saying? In other words, there's, there's so much behind the scenes, so to speak, the, the hand of God in our lives. We, we are not here by accident. We are not here by coincidence. We, we are here on purpose. We, we are here with a purpose. And so the devil never wants you to think along these lines. He never wants you, he, he never wants you to understand this. He just wants you to think that, you know, what's the old song, dust in the wind? You know, all we are is dust. No, you're not dust in the wind. You are not dust in the wind. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Well, I appreciate you letting me share some of that. Amen. All right. So let's go to this one here. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Purpose and grace given to you and to me in Christ Jesus before time began. I'm not trying to make this all about me. Are you, are you, when I tell you these stories, it's, I'm not trying to make this all about me and this, and, 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 you know, because obviously there's a whole lot of descendants of my great grandfather seven times removed that wouldn't be here. Some of the things that they pointed out was the lifespan of an orphan and the disease from living on the streets. In other words, the best thing that could ever, ever happen to him is come to America, right? I mean, the chances of him making it to, to teenage years uh, were very slim uh, in those days there, right? But uh, let, me, let, me, let me show you what I mean. It was prophesied that Jesus, it, ha- it was spoken, right? It was spoken that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Well, it's, a, it's not a coincidence that when Mary is nine months, or we could say full or great with child, that Herod says everybody's got to come from all over to be taxed in, 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 in Bethlehem. Right? Are you, are you, and maybe I'm going too far out on this branch, but I'm just, I'm just trying to show you something here, okay? This was a heathen king who ultimately tried to kill the babies to kill Jesus. Yet, why did he all of a sudden say, everybody's got to come to Bethlehem? Right? It was because of what was spoken so many generations ago. And the power of that word and the grace and the purpose 
of that Word that was working all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. You've got your own stories. Close brushes with death. Probably not a person in this room. If you start looking back on it and thinking about it, times in your life where, man, you you shouldn't still be here, but you're still here. Why? It's because you were given purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before time began. And that purpose and grace is is at work. It's at work. I'm not the only one that had purpose and grace. But whoever that man was that God moved on his heart, who had connections with the king, who intervened on that behalf, that was God's purpose and grace for me working on my behalf nine generations ago in my family. And in yours as well. We, we need to understand and live our lives with a sense of destiny. You've been given purpose. You've been given grace. You've been given uh, and assigned a destiny from God for your life. And the devil never wants you to wake up in the morning realizing that you're a man or a woman of purpose. You're a man or a woman of destiny. But we are. Amen. We are. An eternal God created you for an eternal purpose. You existed in the heart of God before you were formed in your mother's womb. Thank you, Jesus. John chapter 8, verse 14. Jesus responded, just because I'm the one making these claims doesn't mean they're invalid. For I absolutely know who I am, where I've come from, and where I'm going. But you Pharisees have no idea about what I'm saying. So he's talking about his purpose. He's talking about his identity and he's talking about his origin and Jesus understood these things and discipleship is about learning and living the answers to these questions of life these fundamental questions why am I here who am I where did I come from where am I going God gave you purpose and grace in other words those things were decided beforehand And the answers are available for us. It's important that we learn and understand those answers. And by the way, we'll come back. We'll do probably an entire class on those questions right there. But I just want to mention it here. Okay. Now, how about this one? Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. God speaking. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Again, before you were formed in your mother's womb, you were known by God. And the Bible says, whom he foreknew, he predetermined to be conformed into the image of his son. That's Romans chapter 8. Let's talk for a moment about these words. First one is sanctified. Sanctified means to be set apart for a specific purpose. I often use uh, my wife's Christmas dishes to explain something being sanctified. I won't go home tonight and eat a sandwich before bed off of one of those, that Christmas china. And we didn't eat ribs off of them at at 4th of July. They're set apart for a specific purpose. That's what, when we talk about being sanctified, you've been set apart by God, unto God, for a specific purpose. Ordained, the word at its root means appointed. Think appointment. Appointed to a specific time. What we're seeing 
and I want you to understand is that you are who you are and you are when you are and hopefully you are where you are on purpose according to God's design. There is a reason why you and I were not born in the 1800s. And there's a reason why you and I were not born in the 2020 uh, or what, 2050s or whatever. Praise God. Amen. Are you, are you understand what I'm saying? There's a reason why we were born when we were born. This is what we're talking about here. Set apart for a specific purpose, for a specific time, for a specific reason. Not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Now, it's not a trick question. Don't make it a trick question. Just think about it for a moment, okay? Which came first, you or your purpose? Which came first, you or your purpose? Since your purpose came first, your purpose was, was assigned before you were formed in your mother's womb, does it not make sense that you were then created in light of your purpose. You were cre- How silly would it have been for God to give you a purpose and then create you in, in, in such a way as to not have the ability or the, the gifts or the potential to ever fulfill that purpose? Are you, under, are you following me? Praise God. I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to put you to sleep tonight. I, just, I, want, you to, I want you to think about this, right? You, you had a purpose. And God didn't create you in such a way as to not be able to fulfill that purpose. Or how about this? Nor did He create you in such a way as to be bored by your purpose or to be unfulfilled by your purpose or to be dissatisfied doing your purpose. No, see, the sweet spot of life is when you find out what your purpose is and you get slap dab in the middle of doing what you were put on this earth to do when you were supposed to be doing it with the people you were supposed to be doing it with in the place you were supposed to. Man, I'm, on, I'm, I'm telling you, that, that, is, that is your best life right there. So when it says you were given purpose and grace, we see then that God gave you the purpose. He created you in light of your purpose. And grace means He gave you everything you need to fulfill your purpose. Everything that you need to fulfill your purpose has already been all things that pertain to life and godliness. 2 Peter 1.3 has been given to you. So I'm not trying to make this one of those like, um, and I'm not making light of those things. I think they're important. You know, you do these questionnaires to try to find out what your interests are, what your gifts are, what you're good at, what might be a career field for you. You know, those kind, anybody ever done those kinds of surveys and those kinds of things, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to make it about that, but your giftedness and your talents are clues that point you to your purpose. There's a reason why some of you enjoy um, writing and poetry There's a reason why some of you like math and numbers. There's a reason why some of you um, literally enjoy helping and serving. There are others, and listen, just because it's not necessarily your gift, that doesn't mean you're excluded from doing these things. But you realize like giving is a gift. There are some people, just giving comes natural for them. I mean, it's just just the easiest thing in the world to give. It's, it's, It's part of your giftedness. Word up, right? If, 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 you, if you have the gift of giving, God wants you, He wants us all to be wealthy, but, but if you have the gift of giving, God is wanting to make you a major channel through which He can flow wealth into His work in the earth. All right, let's go to Ephesians 2 now. 
question? It's not, sister. Whatever it is. Come on. Um, you got it. What's the best way, she said, for those watching online, what's the best way to feel like or to know that you have found your purpose? That's a great question, okay? And um, I'm not going to just try to give you some pat answer, but obviously we have, what the Scripture tells us to do is to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. So you've got to learn to trust because as you've heard me say so many times, you probably know what I'm fixing to say. He's not the great cowboy. He's the great shepherd. He doesn't drive us like a cattle, like a, like, a, like a cowboy drives cattle. He leads us like a shepherd leads sheep. But remember, he can only lead us as far as our trust in him will allow. So he's trying to lead you. He's trying to direct you, right? So it begins with trust, though. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Lean not to your own understanding. Now, because what's going to intercept... His plans for you, perhaps more than any other thing, more than the devil, more than circumstances, more than situations, is our own understanding. When, when the Holy Spirit begins to lead you, it's not necessarily going to make sense to your natural or, or carnal, logical brain. Okay? Um, it's, not going to, it's not going to make sense. And that, again, that's how the enemy tries... To, um, to thwart or, or you know, misdirect or shut off uh, God's ability. So when think of all the things. Let, let's start with Abraham, who's the father of faith, right? He says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Uh, pack up your stuff and, uh, and let's move out. Okay, God, where are we going? <clears throat> I'll tell you when we get there. Okay, let's go, right? Now, that didn't make sense. It, 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 it wouldn't necessarily make sense today, but let me tell you when it really wouldn't make sense. Back in Abram's day, Abraham's day, it was a cutthroat world. You, your family, families lived in, in compounds. And, and in his day, if you could kill another man and take what was his, you were just richer because of it. And, and so there was safety and protection in those family ties, right? But, but in, in Ur of Chaldees, where he was from... They worship moon gods. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, right? And so, and so God is wanting, wanting him to break from the pack. He's wanting to separate him unto himself, sanctify him, separate him from that to himself. And, and so think of all the things in Abraham's life that God asked him to do that he did that didn't make sense. Amen, right? So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Talk to God about everything. Talk to God about everything. Develop that pattern. Develop that habit in your life. Talk to Him about everything. And first of all, that's what it means to acknowledge Him in all your ways. Okay? But if you will develop that habit, that pattern of living where you talk to him about everything, should there ever come a time in your life where you don't want to talk to him about something, it will be a really big red flag for you. In other words, that will protect you, right? Because now all of a sudden, you know, we, we got our eye on, an, on a young lady or a young man or what, you know, we, we got, you know, some business deal that's a little bit, you know, gray zone-ish, whatever. And now all of a sudden, we don't want to talk to God about it, right? Okay. So, 
acknowledge him in all of your ways and he'll direct your path. He'll direct your path. Okay. And at some point in all this, I'll, I'll tell a little bit more about my story. But, you know, there was a time in my life where I, I was so, what's that paralysis through analysis? You ever heard that expression, right? I was so afraid I was going to make a wrong decision and, and somehow get away from God's will or plan for my life that I wouldn't make any decision. Um, and we'll talk about the micro and the macro will of God um, a lot of times when we, the Holy Spirit said, no, you'll talk about it now. So we'll talk about it now. Okay. <laughs> Amen. All right. Um, microbiology, macrobiology, microeconomics, macroeconomics, macro being the big picture of something, micro being the, the details. Okay. When I was begging God for him to show me his will for my life, what he showed me is that what I really was wanting him to do was give me the details. I was wanting the micro will of God for my life. And this is what he explained to me. He explained to me that if, well, okay, let me tell you the whole story. When I was 15 years old, he told me that in five years I would be married, and five years after that I would have my first child It'd be a girl. Her name would be Bethany, okay? And that just like, you know, I'm like, and it was like, okay, he knows, he knows, he knows, right? Tell me more. I thought he was going to tell me more, okay? He didn't tell me anymore. He didn't tell me anymore, right? But this is what he told me. He said, if you will focus on the part of my will that you know to do and do it every day, I'll make sure you never miss the part that you don't know and that you don't understand. And what he began to show me was this. I never have to ask him if it's his will for me to pray. I never have to ask him if it's his will for me to pay tithes. I never have to ask him if it's, my, if it's his will for me to sin. I never have to ask him if it's, if it's his will for me to come to church. I never have to ask him if it's his will for me to read, read his word. I are you following what I'm saying? All of those are gimmies. All of those are what I call the macro will of God. The, the, the obvious, clear-cut, this is God's will for me, amen. Thanksgiving, being thankful, worshiping, prayer, praise, all these things, right? And so he began to show me that if, if I would focus on doing those things, he would make sure that I never missed the details and the specifics. And I know this is not the answer that a lot of people want to hear, but you just know. You just know. Um, my first uh, assignment in ministry as far as being on staff at a church, um, I loved the pastor. The pastor loved me. Um, we were experiencing a lot of fruit. In the, I was the youth pastor. The church was across the street from a mobile home park full of kids. The church had a nice gymnasium, and we had our youth service on Wednesday nights, and the kids were coming from, from the mobile home park across the street to the church. The youth was growing. The pastor was loving it. Um, not all the people in the church were loving it, but the pastor was loving it. Um, and another church reached out to me and says, um, we, we want to interview you for our youth pastor's job. And I said, oh, thank you. I'm honored, but, but I'm really satisfied and happy where I am. On the third call, they said, look, we really just prayed about this. Our pastor said, would you at least come talk to him? And I said, well, look, I'd love to meet him. I've heard a lot of good things about him. I'll be happy to talk to him. But you make sure, board member calling us, you make sure he knows I have no interest in, in accepting that job. I'm, I'm happy where I am. 
fine, good enough, right? The door of that church, when I walked in that church, it was, I think, a Tuesday evening. The closer on the glass front door was too tight, the automatic closer, and the door bounced when it closed. You know what I'm talking about? It would close and go boom, boom. And I walked through that door, and when it went boom, boom behind me in the foyer of that church, the Spirit of God fell on me, and he said, this is your future. And I'm like, what in the world? And so, but now notice, right, I didn't see any of that coming. This is your future. Your future's here. And so I went and talked to the man, and I told him I, that night, I said, I've heard from God. I, I had no intentions of accepting this job, but yes, sir, if you want me, I'll have me. I said, you just got to pray for me because I don't know how I'm going to tell my pastor and, and that, that I'm serving under now. Um, but so anyway, so I go, as Pastor Harlan knows, I, I go to meet with him. And when I begin to tell him, he and his wife start crying. They said, we've already accepted a pastorate at another church, and we had no idea how we were going to tell you that we were leaving. And I didn't know he was leaving, right? So again, but notice now, I, that's, that's micro stuff, right? But God knows. God knows, right? And so he's directing my path. And when I was 15 years old, the Lord knew, watch this now, the Lord knew that his ultimate, when I say ultimate plan, I don't, there's more that he has for me to do than this. But <clears throat> pastoring this church, pioneering this church, he knew when I was 15 years old that the first Sunday in June of 1998, um, a church would be born called Heritage Christian Center in the showroom of mine and my wife's cabinet business about six blocks behind me in an industrial park. We had a cabinet business. And the, the position that I had been in in ministry, I love those people. If they're watching right now, you know I love you, right? But um, in those days, that church um, was very racist, was very prejudiced. But now watch this. I met a man while I was at that church. Okay, serving at that church, serving faithfully at that church. I met a man, he, he came on a Sunday morning and he brought a choir with him. And the choir sang. And the pastor, that the minister rather, the leader of this ministry, he preached. And I cried from the beginning of that service to the end of it. That man's name was Bill Hines. I met Bill Hines that day. Mm, mm, mm. So do you see how one appointment's leading me to another appointment? Now I meet Bill Hines. And it was more than meeting him that day. I looked around that church and there were people who were there every Sunday who weren't there that morning. And I, I couldn't figure it out. I thought, well, did they all go on vacation together? What, you know, what, what's going on? And so finally somebody said, you don't know what's going on here? I said, no, what's going on here? He said, they didn't come because there's African-Americans in the choir. I said, no. They just did their eyes real big. Well, over a, we did a month where we had service every night but Saturday night on our face before God, worshiping, praying. And from that, the Lord said, go to your sister city, which was Wylam. Knock on every door 
and be a blessing to those people, serve those people. So we started doing that. People in the church got behind it. I thought, okay, this, this prejudice, this racism is breaking off this church. This church is fixing to go, right, you know. And the, the plan was invite people to come to a dinner in their honor, to honor our sister city. And, um, and I saw people who weren't there that Sunday uh, pouring tea for people who weren't the same color as them. And I thought, man, this is, this is it, right? Okay. <laughs> that was a Saturday night. The next Sunday, guess what? A lot of those folks from Wildham showed up at church. And I was thrilled. But I wasn't, I, was, I wasn't the only one that was thrilled, but a lot of people were not. I'm like, what? We invited these people to church. We didn't think they would come. <laughs> okay, now, but, but now watch this, okay? I had the keys to the bus. And so I was, again, mobile home park. I'm going to Wylam. I'm getting folks, right? I had families come bust in the door of my youth service and demand that their youth come out of that youth service because, ready for this, I will not lower my standards and have my children in church with people like this. So, I finally came to the conclusion that if I wasn't on staff at that church, I wouldn't even go there. And again, it's a long story. I won't go into it all. But I wound up leaving the ministry. And to be honest with you, I was never going to be a part. I was never preaching again. I was through with it. I was going to be a wealthy businessman. I was going to finance missions work around the world. And I was going to fall on the mercy of God one day for not preaching and doing what I knew he had clearly called me to do. Okay. That lasted for, I don't know the exact number of years. My wife can tell you not only how many years, but what I was wearing when this happened. But Throughout this course now, a friend of mine, a guy that used to work for my father, started a church ahead of Mercedes-Benz coming to town, and he, he ran into my dad, and his dad asked about me, and, and uh, Eddie Gossett, such a beautiful brother, and um, dad says, no, Eddie, he's, he's not preaching anywhere. He said, well, do you think he'd come preach for me one Sunday night? And Dad said, I don't know. Let me give you his number. You could ask him. He asked me if I'd come preach. I said, yes, be honored to. So I came preach for him on a Sunday night. It was a freedom and a liberty in preaching there that I had never experienced before. And um, I think it was because I let those people who rejected me keep me from reaching those. <laughs> Amen. Somebody with me up in here, right? Amen. Um, and the Lord really worked in the service that night and so he asked me if I would come back the next Sunday night and I said yes and they had a revival planned with Dr. Mike Brown who is a preaching machine and he asked if I would do every Sunday night leading up to when Mike Brown was coming for a week of 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 ministry and I said yes and when that last Sunday was over and I realized that I wasn't going to be preaching anymore, I felt such an emptiness. And so my wife, it was a Saturday night. The revival was supposed to start that next Sunday with Dr. Brown. And my wife put the kids to bed. She came down to our little den there in Hueytown. And she saw the look on my face. 
Now, hear me when I say this. I was not suicidal, and I'm not even trying to make act like I was. But the only way I knew how to tell her this through tears was I didn't want to live anymore if I couldn't preach. I, I, I don't know how to say that, and I've never, I mean, I, I don't have to say it any other way than that way. It wasn't that I was thinking of killing myself. I'm just like, I don't, I, nothing else. It's what I'm called to do. Now, see, again, micro, micro, micro. And the Lord had been speaking to my heart out of um, Isaiah 54. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, right? In Isaiah 43, I'll do a new thing. And um, so we rode to the revival that night with my parents. The next Sunday night, we rode to the, with my parents in their car. And I told them, Pam and I decided that night, first Sunday in June 1998, we were going to start a church in the showroom of my cabinet shop. And I shared with them what the Lord had shared with me out of Isaiah 43, that he was going to do a new thing. Because now remember, I believe my future was, your future's here, right? what the Lord told me. And um, so I thought since I couldn't and wasn't going to be there, I didn't have a future. And the Lord said, forget, if anybody's familiar with Isaiah 43, forget the former things, remember not the, but behold, I'll do a new thing and even now it's going to spring forth. So that was the word the Lord had given to me. And so I shared that with my parents on the way to the revival that night and um, I was sitting on the front row and Dr. Mike Brown was preaching and he was pacing and preaching and pacing and preaching and listen I'm not making this up my wife's not here tonight and I don't am I boring you no. okay I can't believe I'm telling all this okay but anyway ask him a question and he'll talk for two hours about it but anyway he was preaching that night, and he kept walking back and forth around the front. And every time he'd get right in front of me, he would stop for a minute, and then he would move, and he just kept doing that, you know. And finally, he came by me. He stopped, stood right in front of me, shut his whole sermon down, looked me in the eyeballs, and quoted the entire chapter of Isaiah 43 to me, and then started back preaching his sermon. Right. Micro. You know, and so if the Lord had told me when I was 15, so this is, I said all that to say all this. If the Lord had told me when I was 15, because he knew it, I promise I did not plan this this way. But my wife and I were married July the 10th, 1987. Our daughter, Bethany, was born um, July the 20th. 1992, five years, 10 days. Um, I wouldn't even pick a boy name. I mean, I'd already seen her. I mean, I, you know, it's like, I'm telling you, the, the girl named Bethany, he told me when I was, you know, told me 10 years ago. And of course, amen. But now watch this. <clears throat> if the Lord had told me that I would start a church one day in my cabinet shop at 15. Cabinet shop? I never saw a cabinet shop coming. Are you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like I was... Now, I enjoyed... I've always enjoyed building things, making things work. You know, I, I bought a bandsaw when I was younger and make clocks and things of this nature. But building cabinets, never, never on my radar, okay? 
What do you think my immature 15-year-old self would have done if the Lord had told me the church you'll pastor one day will start in your cabinet shop? I, not that my parents would have let me. I'd have tried to quit school and go find an apprentice to be a... I'd have, I would have thought, i got to go. i got to learn to make cabinets. i got to learn to make cabinets, right? And I would have short-circuited the whole, the whole thing, right? Because there was a lot that I had to experience and learn. The Lord told me. He said, I'm going to teach you. He, he, not I'm going to teach you, but... I have taught you. Thank you, Lord. He said, I've taught you some very important lessons in business that you needed to know and, and you needed to learn them when the only thing that was at stake was money. <laughs> he said, but where I'm taking you now, it's people's lives. A lot more at stake now. A lot more at stake now. Okay. Amen. Amen. So I got invited to start volunteering at the Foundry. Back in those days, the Foundry was a two-year program if you wanted it to be. The second year was a year of ministry school. And there was an impact team, a traveling ministry team. And that's where I started. I started teaching chapel services at the Foundry because they had chapel every morning before phase class. And then I taught in the, um, in the school of ministry. And that's where I started volunteered at the foundry and obviously you know that's where I met Pastor Bill and where he met me so um, it's easy looking back on it you know to see it when you're in the middle of it when you've been let go when you, I'm not bragging when I say this but you know on two different occasions I have taken a, a very very significant cut in pay to be in the ministry and I'm not I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just saying, but then you do that, and then it, quote, unquote, doesn't work out, and you've got two small children, a, a newborn and a, and a three-year-old. You know, you're like, okay, what, where is this going, God? You know, um, but he has not only provided for me, he has prospered me. The best is yet to come. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Amen. All right. I feel like I did what I needed to do with that. So where, where you are now, you, I say this sometimes. I say that you know, the difference between playing checkers and chess, and I know that's kind of a cute little thing to say, but it's more than just a cute little thing to say. When, when we're talking about playing chess, we're talking about thinking four or five or more moves ahead. Are you with me? I've learned over the years here at Heritage, when the Lord begins to speak to me about speaking to his people about certain things, that it's for us now but there's always an element of preparation we'll see this in scriptures where we're not quite there yet and I'm not going to try to go into all this because it would take more time than we have left but we see in the scriptures where Jesus went into Jerusalem for the last time on the back of a donkey before he'll be drug out or carried out, carrying a cross, right? 
And he's weeping over the city because he knows that there's going to be a tragedy in A.D. Anno Domini 70. Basically talking 40 years down the road. And he's weeping over the city because he says he came to tell them things that would have made for their peace. That would have literally created a different future for them than the one that's now waiting on them. And he says that it's going to happen because the window of opportunity is closed and they did not recognize their hour of visitation. What is he saying? He's saying there's a time in your life when he was trying to teach you things that would have made a difference 40 years down the road. See, Father God is looking at you know, three gener- not just three moves ahead for you. He's looking at, at well, let's go back to my great-great-grandfather, great-grandfather seven times removed. He, he didn't just see me when, I, when he was hanging on the cross. He saw me seven generations ahead, right? And, and so there are things that Father God is wanting you to know and understand and receive now that's preparing you for the place he's trying to take you. Amen. Amen. And he knows. He knows. That was, I think, the one thing that gave me so much peace that afternoon in my room when I was praying and crying and, you know, is that he knows. He knows. And because I finally knew that he knew, it gave me peace. And he, and he told me what I needed to do and what I needed to focus on. And he's directed my path. And I've missed some turns. When, when all that went down with the church and, and I left that church, I had a businessman come to me. He says, you need to be pastoring. I can't pay your salary, but I'll pay the bills for a building and rent a building if, if you will pastor the church. I said, oh, no, 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 you got the wrong dude. Another man came to me about a month later and said the same thing. And I told him no. That's why I often say Heritage was born in 1998, but it should have been 95. Because the Lord was clearly trying to um, bring me into this position. But I said no. I I said absolutely not, I'm not doing it. But now notice, three years later, see... With God, we, th- we think of time, we, we, let me say this another way. With God, it's cyclical, but we tend to think of time as linear. Yeah. And, and if God is trying to direct you to a, a certain place or a certain position or a certain choice, if you say no or miss that, We're not guaranteed that we'll have the opportunity again, but he immediately tries to start turning time back around and and bring you back what I call full circle. Three years later, I found myself, the, the things were different. The people were different. In a lot of ways, the circumstances were different, but the door was the same. 
was the same door I'd said no to three years earlier. He brought me back around to it. And this time I said, yes, sir, if you'll have me, I'll do it. Now, there was no businessman then. I was the businessman then. Are you see what I'm saying? <laughs> I was the businessman then. And one of the reasons the Lord started blessing my business because the church, the, the business was paying all the bills for the church. Nobody was taking a salary. And my plans, God's overrode me on this, but my plans were to have the church and the business. I never wanted to receive any kind of salary or compensation from the church. I wanted the business to always be a blessing to the church, but it became, it got to be too much. Um, I would show up to do cabinets, but the people that were coming to the church, they didn't see that as a cabinet shop. They saw that as their church and not me as the owner of the business. They saw me as their pastor. And so they would show up. I'm needing to do, biz I'm needing to do cabinet business. At that point, well, not quite at that point, but from that point forward, we, we built up to, we did 252 jobs the last full year I was in business before I sold the business. That's five houses a week, if that gives you some idea how we were prospering. God was doing it, right? But when you have that volume of business and then the church that was, was growing, it, you know, it, it just became way, way too much. And so even then, I had a man who, who wanted to buy the business and I backed out. And then a few months later, I regretted it. And I was, I was agonizing over it. And as I'm telling you, this is the goodness of God. He asked me, he said, he said, just tell me what you want to do. If you want to keep it, we've got to figure out how to, way to keep it. If you want to sell it, you know, because I'm thinking, you know, how many buyers are going to come along for this business? Right? I said, okay, Father, I want to sell it. Let's just, I'm, I'm, I'm not going back out of this. I'm going to sell it. It, it wasn't a few weeks. Another man came to me and says, I'd like to buy your business. I said, yes, sir, let's, let's do it. Amen. But again, it's... Trusting God. In a lot of ways, that business was a security blanket because, you know, I had been on staff at a church and then my salary was cut off. And so now I'm like, bless God, that ain't going to happen again. I'll have my own business. You know, but I had to trust him, right? I had to trust him. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm still learning to do that. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right. I know some of you heard this before, but I'm gonna say it, I'm gonna say it again because it. I try to I'm, when I'm pausing like this, I'm like, Lord, is is this just me wanting to say this, or you want me to say this? And I've learned when He keeps kind of prompting me to say it. So, first time I had ever driven a vehicle with a GPS, I was in Franklin, Tennessee, and I was trying to find. I think it was the Costco there in Franklin, Tennessee, and I had programmed it in and this voice starts coming out of the dash telling me not just when to turn but how much further it would be before I had to turn and listen you know what's that country comes to city country bumpkin you know I was just like mesmerized by this and I'm like looking up through the the sunroof and I'm like how does she know how do they know that's almost scary you know and um because I was the kid that would get a toy, play with it for a while, then I would take it apart because I want to know how it worked, right? And so, so it was telling me, I forget how many, what the distance was, but to take a right, and there was a left coming up. And I, like, looked around and just took a really quick left and kind of punched it. <laughs> See what was happening. I was going to try to beat the band, you know? And the screen goes black, and I thought, yep, yep, you know? 
And then this word comes on there, recalculating, <laughs> recalculating, 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 and then it told me my next turn. And again, the Spirit of God fell on me. He said, no matter how many wrong turns you take, the Holy Spirit still knows how to get you to where you're supposed to be from wherever you are right now. Amen. So have you taken some wrong turns? Yeah, I have. I'm sure you probably have. But no matter how many wrong turns you've taken, the Holy Spirit not only knows where you're supposed to be, He knows how to get you there from where you are right now. Amen? Amen? All right. We can make up for time when we get to this because I do this. I just didn't plan on doing it tonight, but that's a. <laughs> Ephesians 2. Um, let's do 8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see the ministry in this verse? First of all, the word workmanship there is the Greek word we get our word poem from. It's poeme, P-O-E-M-A. And it speaks of something, well, let's do it this way. Think about the difference between just randomly writing something, strategically writing something, but then the dreaded assignment from English class in high school, write a poem. What is a poem? A poem requires the most deliberate, intentional thoughtfulness, whether it rhymes or not. The, the meter, the verse, the sequence of the words. It's talking about something that a lot of thought has gone into. And he says, you are his poeme. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see how this is tied into a destiny, a purpose that was given to you in Christ Jesus before time began? Ephesians 3, let's, let's do this, 8 through 11. To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent. Anytime you see something like this in the Scriptures, he's talking about what God intended. In other words, he's telling you what God's thinking. He's telling you something very important that you need to understand about yourself and about God's plans and purposes for your life and your place in those plans and purposes. His plans and purposes here on the earth. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known, might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now I know that's a mouthful, and I know the class is about over. I know we've covered a lot of stuff, and it's kind of a different. Uh, zone in here, but let's let's at least get this part right here and then we'll pray, all right? 
he's saying, he, he speaks of this mystery. And one of the things that, that we see in Colossians is when the mystery is finally revealed, that the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the confident expectation of all that God is and all that God has. Now he refers to that fellowship of this mystery, again, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Meaning there were things that, that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit kept a secret until Jesus went to the cross. The Bible says if Satan had known... If Satan had known the plan, he would have never laid a hand on Jesus. Did you know Satan regrets what he did to Jesus? Because what he did to Jesus enabled Jesus to be multiplied into you and me. Why is Father God doing all this? What is his thinking behind all this? What are his intentions? His intentions are for his wisdom, manifold, think multi-layered, multi-faceted, multi-dimensional wisdom of God so that his manifold wisdom might be made known, revealed, put on display by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And again, this is talking about this eternal purpose that was given to you and me in Christ Jesus before time began. Now, let me try to break this down for you real quick. Like, So Jesus went about doing good, destroying the works of the devil. Okay, He is um, doing the works of God, and in so doing, He is making known, He is revealing the wisdom of God. Remember the one word I want you to think of when you hear the word wisdom is the word results. Jesus was a man of results. He was a man of supernatural results because He was operating with the supernatural wisdom of God. The manifold, multi-layered, multi-dimensional, multi-faceted wisdom of God was on display being proven to people on earth, but also to spirits in the demonic spirits in the spirit realm, the wisdom and ways and, and operations of God. But notice, that is not the intent. The intent was not for Jesus to display this wisdom, but the, but the intent was for the manifold wisdom of God to be, to be made known to the principalities and powers by the church. Who's the church? We're the church, the church which is His body. He's talking about you and me here. Anytime you see church, He's talking about the body of Christ. He's not talking about a building with a steeple on it. He's talking about the living, breathing body of Christ. We are individual members of one body, the body of of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And He's wanting His wisdom to be made known, to be put on display to the demonic forces in the lower atmosphere, not by Jesus alone, but by the church. You and me, made known by the church to the fallen angels according to the eternal purpose. Amen. You get anything out of this tonight? God loves you. He has more than a 120-year plan for your life. But when we talk about him preparing you right now, tonight, for things that he has in store for you in the days ahead, we also, I think, need to look at the entire balance of our lives as him preparing us for what comes after this life. And Jesus taught us some parables about that, did he not? Then it wasn't based upon what you did compared to what other people did. It was based upon what you did with what you were given. 
what you did with what you were given. We aren't all given the same types of talents and abilities, and we're not all given the same types of purpose. We have different purposes. And he uses again the body to explain that. There's a purpose for the thumb. There's a purpose for the knee. There's a purpose for the hip. There's a purpose for the ear. And so you won't be, if you're, if you're a hip, you're not going to be judged based upon uh, how well you listened. Are you, as an ear, how, how, if you perform like an ear, you're going to be based upon, obviously we need to listen, you know what I mean though, that it'll, it'll be based upon how well you did what a hip's supposed to do. Father, you're good to us. We love you. Thank you for life and peace this evening. Thank you for the things that you're revealing to us. Thank you, Father, for helping us see and, and understand. Um, Lord, people are listening right now. They, they've got some decisions to make. Um, everybody does at some point, Father, but, but this is a unique group. Lord, this is a group that's hungry for you, a group, Father, that's uh, a lot of them are, are, are in a transitional spot in their lives right now. Um, involved in a discipleship program, Lord, that, that they will soon graduate from. And, and, and Lord, they've got choices and decisions to make. Lord, where they're going to live, what they're going to do next. Do they go to school? Do they go get a job? Do they go back home? Do they stay here? Lord, all kinds of things, Lord, where they need to hear from you. And I thank you, Father, that they're hearing from you. And you're directing them and leading them by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, you're helping us to, to, to be soft and tender and pliable in your hands. Uh, Lord, so that, that, that we can know and, and respond to you and follow your leading because we trust you, Jesus. We're not going to lean to our own understanding. And, and, and Lord, you even said there's safety in a multitude of counsel. And so, Lord, I thank you, Father, that, that as, as you have instructed all of us, Lord, to seek out wise counsel when, when we believe that we've heard from you and, and, and then people in, that you've put in our lives, Lord, to, to help us and lead us, Lord, that we would uh, present our plans uh, to, to those people and, and receive counsel and wisdom from them. And, Lord, we thank you that, that, that we've made some wrong decisions. We all have. But, Father, we, with your help, we're done making bad decisions, Lord. And, and, and you can't make good decisions with, with, with wrong or incomplete or bad information. And so, Lord, thank you that we're not just getting information, but we're getting revelation. And we thank you, Father, for what you're preparing us for, what you're equipping us to do. So much more productive and so much more effective than we've ever imagined. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, you're loved. If nobody's told you that tonight, thank you for hanging in here with me. I hope it wasn't too sappy for you, but God's a good God.